Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 12. We're looking at verses 12 to 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. If you can choose your translation, uh, we're going to be looking at the NIV, the New International Version. This is the reading of God's Word. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's a famous quote about parenting uh, where they say that uh, once you become a parent, uh, you're only as happy as your saddest child. All right? And uh, it's so true. I mean, you can ask any of these parents here with multiple kids. They will tell you that if they have multiple kids, even if all their other kids are thriving and healthy and grown up strong, uh, all it takes is one child to be hurting or struggling or falling behind, and it just casts a huge shadow over the whole family. Um, I still remember uh, when uh, my son Jack was born, and we went to the hospital, and they told us that he had a small hole in his heart. And um, at the time, Carol and I were so afraid, you know, we hadn't experienced anything like that with our daughter. And so I remember he had to do, have all these tests and procedures done. And, and we were sitting there in the waiting room waiting for these tests to come out. And Carol literally turned to me and she, and she said, is it just me or like, does your heart hurt too? And it was this sense in which you can't separate yourself from your children. Um, you know, when one, when one child suffers, we all suffer. When one child rejoices, we all rejoice because there is no scenario in which, we are no, when, in which we are not now tethered to our kids. For the rest of our lives, our children's well-being will be connected to our well-being. And this is the very image the Apostle Paul draws upon when he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And he's writing to a church in crisis. He's writing to a church that started off very strong, 
where you had all these different kinds of people serving one another with their individual gifts, with their unique gifts, um, loving one another, caring for one another, being a community together. But all of a sudden, over time, these same gifts that were once given to unify the body all of a sudden became reason for division. There were certain members that were privileging certain gifts over others. All of a sudden, you had these islands start to form, and suddenly Paul is looking at this church, and it starts looking like a high school cafeteria, right? You have the, the cool kids over here, the goths over here, the jocks over there, the nerds over here, and this is what the church in Corinth started to look like, and Paul looks at this, and he says, this is not what Christ died for. This is not the kind of community Christ had in mind. He didn't die so that we could all be off on our own islands, tending to our own needs, um, simply being with people who look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us. He says, no, we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body with many parts. And the metaphor of a body shows up over and over and over again in Paul's letters because Paul is trying to get to this point that at the end of the day, all of us are like a body. We are interconnected. We are intertwined. Every part matters. And yet when you think about it, this is rarely the picture that comes to mind when we think about the church. If we're honest, we actually don't see ourselves as a body. We see ourselves as a whole bunch of separate, disconnected parts, kind of trying to move around independently on our own competing with one another for resources and attention. And at the end of the day, most churches look like high school cafeterias. You have the families on one side, the singles on the other side. Uh, you have the creatives on one side. You have the college students over there. And yet, I would say this is not the picture of the church that Paul gives us. We don't see our well-being tied to one another's well-being. We don't see ourselves intertwined with each other. And so this morning, I want to suggest that one of the most destructive things we are called to unlearn as Jesus people is independence. Okay, if you're taking notes, what do we need to unlearn? Independence. And that might sound weird, right? Because on the surface, independence seems like a great thing. Why would you need to unlearn independence? But let me explain. From the day we're born, we are taught to become independent. Our culture is constantly habituating us, teaching us that maturity equals independence. We're trying to be financially independent. We're trying to be self-sufficient. We believe we should be independent enough to make our own decisions. We believe we need to be independent enough to stop mooching off our families. And to some extent, this is true, right? Uh, if you are over the age of 40 and you are still living in your parents' basement playing video games, I'm sorry, it's time to move out, okay? It's time to move out. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is we're living in a culture that tries to convince us that the good life is a life that's free of attachment to people and to things altogether. That the good life is about shedding the things that keep us from becoming who we really are. You know, I, uh, you know, talk to uh, a lot of married couples who say, man, if I, if I just weren't married to my husband or wife, there's so much more I could do with my life. I would really be able to discover all my potential. I would be able to discover the real me. 
And so many times we don't realize that the real you can only be discovered in relationship, in community with one another. The real you can only be discovered when someone else is pushing up against you, when they are exposing your strengths and weaknesses, when you give your lives to another person in relationship because this is the way God created us to be. Isn't it interesting that God, who is self-sufficient, independent in every way, doesn't need anyone or anything, chooses to identify himself, chooses to reveal himself through the picture of the Trinity? Three distinct persons, but not independent from one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God chooses to reveal himself through the lens of relationship. So whenever people say, I want to become more independent so I can become more like Jesus, that's actually not true. The more independent you become, you're not becoming more like God, you're becoming less like him. And that's kind of a weird thing to think about, that this thing that our culture tells us is so important is actually pushing up against the way of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part of the body is indispensable. And he goes on to say in verse 16, And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, to say that any part of the body is unnecessary is to miss the whole point of how the body works. To say we could do without this one person or this one group of people in our lives is to miss the profound beauty that the church is called to be. You know, I am a creative at heart, and sometimes I wonder, man, it'd be pretty amazing if everyone at our church was a musician. And then I think to myself, oh, no, 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 no. That would be devastating, right? Because nothing would get done. There would be no structure anywhere. Everything would be super dramatic, right? Like someone would ask about membership class, like, what does it take to be a member? And they, they would get the response, what is a member, right? It would be this weird, everything would be super existential. And I realized every part is necessary to make this body work. Different people with different wirings, different passions, different gifts, all coming together on mission to serve the Lord. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, she is a world-renowned uh, speaker, uh, writer, and she became a quadriplegic in a diving accident when she was 17. And she went, wrote an article back in 2019 for National Rehabilitation Week called The Danger of Independence. And listen to what she writes. We're going to put this quote on the, uh, up on the screens. National Rehabilitation Week means a lot to me as I look back on my years of rehabilitation. Both my physical and occupational therapists wanted me to be as independent as possible. They worked hard. They worked me hard so I could learn to feed myself, push my wheelchair a little bit, at least even draw holding pencils between my teeth. There wasn't much I could do as a quadriplegic, but those things I could do, I did them with a go-get-em attitude. And when I was released from almost a year of rehab, I was determined to be independent. I did not want anyone's help, thank you very much. Now that may be an admirable attitude when you're new to a wheelchair and learning to do as many things as you can for yourself. 
It's important to be independent in that respect. But to be honest, the Bible warns us about spiritual independence. Having a proud, full, independent mindset can get you into trouble. At some time and in some way, we will all buy into the delusion of independence. The lie of independence is designed to make me believe that I'm wiser and more righteous than I am. It makes me think I'm a mature person living in the colony of the immature. Isn't that so true? Independence, as good as it can sound, also carries with it the underlying belief that I don't need you, that you have nothing of value to offer me. It all of a sudden turns people into a means to an end. Your life to serve mine, and once I'm finished with you, I don't need you anymore. And yet this is not what God intended for the church. You know, they say that Gen Z is the most independent generation of all generations. Before that, it was millennials. Before that, it was Gen X. So we are progressively becoming more independent. And I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. The first is Gen Zers report a greater distrust than any generation before them, a distrust of authority, systems, and people. And it makes sense, because we live in a jacked up world. Second reason is because they don't need anyone because they have apps and they have technology to do everything. All their relationships are on social media. They don't need face-to-face -face interaction. They don't need people to help them with certain things because there's an app for everything. And yet, isn't it ironic that this generation, which happens to be the most independent generation, which most people would say is a good thing, also happens to be the loneliest generation? And before them, the millennials were the loneliest generation. And before them, Gen Xers were the loneliest generation. So we are progressively becoming more and more independent, and yet we are progressively becoming more and more lonely. In a recent nationwide study done by Cigna, it showed that almost 50% of Americans right now felt isolated from the others and felt that their relationships were not meaningful. 27% of the people surveyed, that's more than one in four, said that they never felt as though there were even one person who understood them or really connected with them. I want you to think about that. One in four believe that there's not one person in this world that really gets them. That is a staggering statistic. But see, it makes sense. As more and more people focus on themselves, as more and more people focus on just their immediate nuclear family, as more and more people live further away from loved ones because they don't feel like they need to live close anymore, all of a sudden this generation is paying for it. They're paying a hefty cost. Well, what's the alternative? And I would suggest that what we need more of is not more independence. What we need more of is interdependence. What do we have to relearn? We have to relearn interdependence, relationships where all parties are mutually dependent on one another, where we see ourselves as a part of a greater whole. In every field, whether it's business, sports, music, there's such thing as having a team of greats or having a great team, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. As a musician, I can tell you, some of my favorite bands are not the bands that have all the best individual musicians. You know why? Sometimes when you have a band full of all the best individual musicians, everyone's doing their own thing. Nobody's listening to each other. 
Nobody's submitting to the song that's actually being played. Everyone just wants to stand out. Some of the best music that comes out are actually, musicians are pretty mediocre, but they understand their role. They understand they are a part of a greater whole. This is why super teams don't always win championships. You can have the best players, but if you don't have role players who know their roles, you can have heroes who try to play hero ball all the time, but we know that doesn't win championships. And this is the vision Paul has for the church, a church where we don't see ourselves as a group of great individuals, but we, are, we see ourselves as a small part of something great God is doing in our midst. And Paul says, if you could just see that, you wouldn't disregard certain parts of the body as less important than others. You would see every part as being indispensable. He says in verse 23 that you would even begin to treat the parts that you think are less honorable with special honor. Do you know why in the NFL, um, quarterbacks at the end of the season, uh, when, when they have a great season, they usually buy their offensive line all Rolexes? or they'll buy them like these huge gifts. I bet you I could, if I pulled the people in this room, you could probably name a whole bunch of quarterbacks off the top of your head. I guarantee you most people could not name a whole bunch of O-linemen because you don't know who they are, but quarterbacks know. Because they know in order for them to have those extra couple seconds to make the throw, these O-linemen need to do their job and he, they know that these O-linemen are indispensable to what they're called to do. This is the vision we have of the body. Every part matters. Married people, let me speak to you first. I know it's easy once you tie the knot, once you start having, once you start having kids on your own, to kind of retreat into your own immediate nuclear family, to start to forget about everything else, and your whole goal in life is to grow and protect just this. I'm telling you, there are singles in this church who need you. There are singles in this church who need to know what a healthy marriage looks like. There are singles in this, in this church who need to be loved and mentored. Now, singles, let me talk to you as well. Do you know that there are married people and families who need you? I don't even know why I turned over here. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 singles everywhere, okay? There are singles everywhere, okay? Um, and it's not just for babysitting. Married people need to realize that life is bigger than their kids. They need to be around young people pursuing their dreams, pursuing their passions and gifts because I'm telling you, as a parent, we forget that all the time. We get so caught up in trying to do this and that for our immediate family that we need people around us to remind us of what it looks like to live with purpose and vision we need every part of the body. When I think about the church, the early church in the book of Acts, you know what made that church special? It wasn't any one person. It was the way they chose to be a community. In Acts 2, it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It wasn't this is mine and that is yours. It was everything is ours. When one part suffered, everyone suffered. When the whole community, when one person needed something, the whole community stepped up to provide for that person. You know, this week, uh, I got a call from the principal at Roybal, and the last thing she said 
you know, after she thanked us for the donation to the Shuk family, she added this at the end. She said, I love that we can be there for one another. I love that we can be there for one another. What a beautiful picture of interdependence to be able to attach ourselves to our neighbors in such a way that their pain becomes our pain and their joy becomes our joy. Um, uh, a, a mega church pastor I met on Clubhouse, actually, believe it or not, um, called me back in March, and um, I don't even know how he got my number. And he called me up, and he contacted me because he saw one of my Instagram posts about the mass shooting uh, that happened in Atlanta back in March. And uh, he said, hey, um, we have some Asian Americans uh, in our community, and uh, they've been asking us to say something about uh, the rise in AAPI hate crimes. And uh, I noticed one of your posts, and you know, our leaders were trying to figure out what kind of statement we can put out there, and can you give us some suggestions? you know, as to, you know, what you think we should say and how you think we should address this. And my first question was, have you actually sat down with your Asian American congregation members and asked them how they were feeling? Have you actually done that? Because I can give you a general statement, but anything I say is going to come off disingenuous and contrived unless you're actually tethered to the people you're writing the statement for. You cannot come up with a statement independent of the people you are writing the statement for. As a church, we cannot talk about racial justice. We cannot talk about sexuality unless we can honestly say that we are tethered to the people for whom these things are a daily reality. We can't do it. You can't talk about these things independent of individual stories and lives. This is the interdependence that Jesus is calling us to because if we do that, Everything will be performative. Everything will be disingenuous if we choose independence over interdependence. So two quick applications for us, okay? Number one, what does it look like to intentionally tether yourselves to people who are different from you? Not only within this church, but outside of this church. What would it look like for you to get out of your comfort zone and intentionally seek out relationships that challenge you? that aren't just there for your convenience, that aren't always comfortable, that aren't your personal echo chambers, that force you to rethink and re-examine your own views, that force you to rethink and re-examine your own self-centeredness, what would that look like? Young adults, you just heard our college director, Chris, talk about how we're looking for young adults to serve in our college ministry because we want we want to create these bridges. We don't want our college students to be islands in and of themselves. This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to tether yourselves to people who are different from you. Okay, so that's application number one. Application number two, allow yourself to be vulnerable to other people. Allow yourself to need other people. I'm very bad at this. Okay, I'm, trust me, I, I was raised to be independent, not to depend on anyone. That was seen as a sign of weakness. But let me remind you that the Bible tells us that it's in our weakness that Christ's strength is made perfect. It's in our vulnerability, it's in our brokenness, it's in our willingness to ask for help that Christ's strength is made perfect. Did you know that it's in your vulnerability and in your weakness that you may give someone in this community an opportunity to play the role he or she has been called to play in your life? 
to love you, to serve you, to care for you. Now you might be saying, well, that's too hard. I don't want to tether myself to other people. I'm a very private person. I want to do things on my own. I'm fine. I'm self-sufficient. I don't want them to deal with my baggage. I don't want to have to deal with their baggage. All this interdependent stuff that sounds nice, but honestly, life is crazy enough as it is. I have a hard enough time taking care of myself. I don't even want to think about other people. And here's where the gospel comes into play. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of a God who intentionally tethered himself to people who offered no benefit to him whatsoever. A God who chooses to identify with our pain, our shame, our weakness, our failures. A God who puts on skin and bone and literally becomes one of us. He literally becomes one of us. He willingly attaches himself to the very people who crucify him. And he takes our sin on his shoulders as though he committed them himself. Who does that? Also that you and I would be cleansed. Also that you and I would be made righteous in his sight. And so as much as we want to claim independence, this idea that we are who we are on our own, as much as we want to say that we can save ourselves, all of that is a myth. Because without the work of Christ on the cross, you and I would be dead in the water. And so for us to turn around and live our lives as though we don't need God or need other people, that would be utterly foolish. You and I have been saved not as individuals, but into a community of believers, a community called to love and serve one another the, the way Christ loved and served us. Um, in a moment, we're going to be baptizing eight children in our community. And I think baptism is one of the most beautiful pictures of the interdependence we're called to as followers of Jesus, from the oldest member of our congregation to the youngest members of, of our congregation, and every part matters. And you know what? For the most part, let's be honest, these children, they have no idea what's about to happen to them, okay? They don't know. They, they don't know, fully know the significance of the water that's going to be sprinkled on their heads this morning. But one day, our prayer is that they will claim this identity in Christ for themselves. Our prayer is one day they would embrace this faith as their own. And when they do, and we pray that they do, it would be foolish to think that that decision is an independent one. Because that decision will forever be tethered to the decision their parents are making this day to commit their children to Christ and to commit their children to this community you know, um, for all those being baptized, um, something we started doing is I write a personal letter to all the children that their parents can read to them uh, once they come of age to explain to them exactly what's happening to them this day so they can memorialize this. Uh, this week, I was writing these letters, and literally every letter one after the other, I could not stop crying because literally some of these families here as I'm writing these letters, I realize that Carol and I would not be here at this church if not for their love, support, and friendship. Carol and I would not be here leading this community if not for people willingly tethering themselves to us, attaching themselves to our lives, adopting our kids as their own. Nobody is in this here in this room is here by accident. 
All of you, whether you want to admit it or not, are here because someone, a parent, a community group leader, a friend, a sibling, at some point in your life loved you enough to share the love of Christ with you. We are not independent, self-sufficient individuals. You are here because someone wanted you to be here, and God used that person to bring you here to this place. Friends, you may not know it now, but there are people in this room who need you. And there are people in this room you need. Together we have an opportunity to embody the beauty of the gospel for a world that is desperately longing to see a different kind of community. A community marked by love, grace, and mutual dependence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you that you did not just save us as individuals, but that you saved us into a community. And that as a community, we're called to love one another and to embody your love and your grace to those of us in this very room, to those of us tuning in online. You did not call us to be independent, but interdependent. Lord, this world is so challenging to navigate. The grief, the loss, the suffering, the pain, there are so many things that we just cannot carry on our own shoulders. But thank you that you don't call us to. First, you carried our sin, our shame, and our pain on your shoulders as you walked up to Calvary. And now you've given us this family of believers to be able to journey together in faith. And so, Lord, we ask that citizens would be a community, not of individual people who are great, but that we would be a community who understands our role, our, that we, every single person, from the youngest member to the oldest, that we would understand that we are all called to be an integral part of the work you're doing in our own lives and in our city. So we thank you for this poignant word today. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.